For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. Today we are out in Escondido, California for the second Japanese nostalgic car, Toge California Rally. Uh, I'm uh, very excited. This is my first year to be on it. There's about 25, 30 classic Japanese cars. We're going to be spending 200 miles going through the canyons of San Diego all the way back up to Orange County. And right now I am standing with the creator of it and the founder of JapaneseNostalgicCar.com, Ben Seo. Ben, tell us where this idea came from. Hi, AJ. Good to see you again. Um, This idea came when my co-sponsor, well, I guess you could say, Rally Master, Patrick Strong and I were just having some beers and talking about cars, and we wondered, you know, why is there not something for Japanese classics the same way there are for Italian, British, and German classic cars, like the, you know, Mili Miglia tribute events, um, you know, California Mille, those kind of uh, uh, driving tours. So we decided to do one. Patrick has been a Rally Master for the, S, uh, the Santa Monica Sports Car Club uh, for many years, and you know, obviously, with my association with Japanese nostalgic car, we figured we were the two perfect people to put something like this on, and so that's how it happened. And the first one was such a, a wild hit; you probably didn't even expect it was going to be as successful as it was. This one, it seems like everyone's been anticipating for the last few months. Did you ever think these were going to grow and become this this huge phenomenon? Well, we didn't expect it to be as successful and grow as fast as. It has been, but uh, our goal was always to do this in order to raise the profile of vintage Japanese cars. So, yes, I mean, we, we did have the idea that one day we would like to see an even bigger rally. I mean, maybe a multi-day event. But for now, this year, we're doubling the length of the route and doubling the number of entrants to accommodate you know all the people that wanted to join last year but couldn't. Now, we're standing around probably, uh, let's see, we've got a Toyota Corona, uh, a lot of 240Zs, a Mazda rotary pickup truck, a GLC, uh, a cool 510 wagon, a Toyota Century. What what sort of excited you the most? Which which car, when it signed up, you went, ooh, we're getting that. That's cool. Um, Well, one very significant car is the yellow 240Z, which was actually owned by Mr. K., uh, who is was the Nissan USA president when Nissan first entered the country and was, you know, getting into uh, motorsports and you know and building up their brand. And that's very cool to see such a really rare and unique piece of history, uh, not just for Japanese cars, but the whole automotive industry as a whole. Uh, we're going to kick this thing off. Leave pretty soon. We'll be spending the day talking to the drivers, uh, the people putting it on, and taking some photos. And this will all be found on Peterson.org and on iTunes. We have new episodes every Tuesday on iTunes and Peterson.org. We are sitting in a Mazda GLC, which stands for a good little car. Great little car, Great in little fact. Car. I'm riding shotgun. I've got Jacob Brown, product communications for Mazda, who is giggling. And maybe tell us why. Explain what's going on. So we have about 60 horsepower on tap in this mean little hatchback. And uh, we're heading up a mountain. And if you've never driven a 2,000-pound car with about 60 horsepower up a mountain, that's about 40 years old, uh, it's it's a little bit fun. It's a treat. So uh, this is my foot is pegged to the floor. And... um, like I said, like I have said, like I continue to say, 
we pride ourselves as being a driver's car company, and even this great little car is a driver's car. It just happens to be a very slow driver's car. So, we're having fun over here, and, uh, Hopefully we'll maybe get, well, we aren't even at 30 miles an hour right now. Hopefully we'll be able to get up to 30 miles an hour here sometime soon. But honestly, this is very fun, and AJ, please attest to it, this is pretty comfortable, too, even for a 40-year-old car. I will say it is a, you, you can only laugh, but it is a fun, it is a fun car. Uh, tell us about the GLC and its history with Mazda and, and its, where it came about and everything about it. So today's Mazda 3 draws direct lineage to this uh, family line. It was called the Familia, or the 323, depending on what market you were in. But in the U.S., when marketers were like, hmm, what are we going to sell this as? Um, some guy, they were sitting around a table, and somebody said, well, you know, it's a great little car. So the name stuck, and it became the GLC for great little car. And that's a real story. Now tell us about this specific one. What year is it? This is from uh, Mazda's Heritage Center or your garage, or, or you guys have a good collection of vehicles. How did you acquire it? What's its history? Tell us all about it. Oh, geez, I wish I could tell you the story for everything. Um, the car has 77,000 original miles on it. I think we're getting to our checkpoint here. And uh, it was acquired a few years back from a couple of people who just didn't really drive it a whole lot. And Mazda occasionally picks up these sorts of cars. And it's just a really great story um, for the company because the GLC was Mazda's first hit. And, um, and we acquire cars that speak to the history and the sort of, of um, successes that Mazda has had over the years. This one being the first uh, car to actually... <clears throat> excuse me to actually uh, become a sales success for Mazda in the U.S., and it really paved the way for a long line of other 323s, Protégés, um, the, the new Mazda 3, which is a fantastic car, and, um, and, and really it all started here. It started back in the 1960s and started in the 1970s when Mazda was able to bring this car stateside. And you guys are helping put on the Toga California. You're teaming up with Japanese Nostalgic Car and Mazda. Uh, is gracious enough to provide us all the barbecue I can't wait to eat and put some neat cars on the road. What what does your guys' sort of past and heritage mean to you? So we're a company that has a lot of, of history. It This isn't just a company that, that, that came out of, of Tokyo like most other Japanese companies. This company was born out of Hiroshima. It was about 30 meters away, about 30, 40 meters away from survive, uh, from ultimately no longer being a company, um, at which point, uh, because of the, the atomic bomb in world uh, that was part of World War II. But luckily, Mazda was able to survive. It came back. It became uh, an automaker that, frankly, does things differently because of, of the, uh, the region, the, the fact that it isn't part of the, the rest of the Tokyo landscape or, or Yokohama, as the case may be. And Mazda is just kind of celebrated driving fun, of making people smile, of, of, of just being able to enjoy the car. Mazda doesn't build appliances, and I think even now in this 1978 GLC, we can attest to the fact that this is an appliance. It, yes, a little slow, uh, sure, but a hoot to drive? Yes, I will totally say that, and I think that we could say that Mazda's been doing that ever since. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about what's going on now. You guys were the hit of New York when you unveiled the MX-5 RF, the retractable roof 
target top or hard top. Uh, tell us about it. What can we expect? What 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 do people not know that they need to know? So Mazda is um, creating some new premium products. Uh, the RF is it stands for a tractable fastback. And it will be uh, coming out late this year, if not early next year. Um, the model that we showed over in New York had a Napa leather interior, the same uh, auburn-colored Napa leather as the CX-9, and was also the first time that we've shown the MX-5 in machine gray, which will, for at the time, um, for right now, be exclusive to the RF model. Basically, it is a, a we call it the retractable fastback. It's almost a Targa-style top. Uh, a power top, it, re- it replaces the power tractable hard top in Mazda's Miata lineup. And it's really, really an awesome flagship and a beautiful design. Well, I can't wait to see one in person, Jacob. We've got about another 150 miles ahead of us, and we're currently sitting with no air conditioner. So let's wrap this up, and we'll go talk to some other drivers and owners. Yeah, it's a bit toasty. Thanks, AJ. We're joined by Larry Chen, senior editor for Speed Hunters, a very prominent photographer in the car world. I guarantee you, you've seen at least two of his photos online. He shot the Toge California today. From behind the lens, Larry, what was your take on it? I'm sad because I wish I was driving instead of shooting. But it's got to be, there's got to be a whole sort of different level of fun trying to get these pictures together. Or do you just want to be behind the wheel? Uh, I definitely prefer to be behind the wheel, especially because I have a 1970 240Z, um, and it would just be awesome to drive along with all these other guys, especially with uh, Mr. K's Z. Uh, but shooting behind the lens was fun too. You know, just trying to, I guess, cut them off at as many at as many places as possible, um, just by not taking the route and just, you know, getting them passing by you. And it's cool to see these cars on the street. So that's kind of the main thing that we're trying to go for, I guess. And you're not a stranger to going to tons of different types of car shows and events, uh, probably all over the world, I would say, at this point. How does Toge California separate itself from the rest of them? Well, the thing about California is there are literally an un- just unlimited amount of mountain roads. I mean, you could just drive your entire life trying to find all the crazy roads and you won't be able to find all of them. And that's the cool thing about this event is because even though I've lived in Southern California all my life, I've never driven these roads. I've never even seen these roads. So um, it's just it's just different, I guess, uh, in a way, because you could have so many events. I don't know. I guess you could have 100 events and you'll never drive the same road. And that's what's awesome about it. And you know what I love is, I I agreed with you too, I had no clue this part of the state existed. And we're just, you know, we're a little bit north of San Diego, a little bit south of Orange County. And, you know, it's how could these roads get any better and any nicer until we were accompanied with some pie. So you go, how does this get better? Oh, wait, there's pie when we stopped in Julian. Uh, So, Larry, we look forward to seeing the photos when you post them. And what's the next event you're going to cover? Uh, the next event is going to be Formula Drift, and then after that, it'll be the Long Beach Grand Prix. All right, great talking to you. Kenny brought out probably one of the most historically significant cars here on the Toge California. Tell us about what you drove and how you got it. Um, I drove Mr. Kaneyama's 240Z, and I got it via my mother, who was Mr. Kaneyama's secretary. And how long did she work for him? Oh, 30-something years. I believe, 30, God, 35 years. I'm not sure exactly how many years. So did you know him personally when you were growing up? Yes, I did. 
I've known him since I was, oh, I was in diapers. My mom used to take me to work with her once in a while. <laughs> and how did it go when he was done with this uh, Nissan, or Datsun 240? Did he just go to your mom, you want it? Actually, no. He, the story that I heard from my mother was when he was retiring, he had to divvy up all the stuff he had in America. And he was getting ready to give the car to one of his buddies, and she says, I want it. And so he said, okay, you can have it. <laughs> Pretty smart thinking of your mom. Now, tell me a little bit about this, because it's not it's a North American 240. It's not a Japanese. Uh, it's not a fair lady. It, um, it is different, though. It's been customized. Tell me all about the customizations to it. Okay, so apparently when it arrived on the docks, Mr. Kadayama had him put the Genos on it and put this uh, pearl paint job, which I believe is like 72 Corvette or yellow. And... Um, yeah, that's pretty much how it came about. It was, it was his personal car, and I guess he had them do it at the docks, put the paint and the, the nose on it and such. And now how many miles do you have on it, and do you have a little nervousness driving it? I'm very nervous driving it. I couldn't tell you the mileage. I was just going to look at it earlier, but it's dark, and I can't see the dash. <laughs> and uh, Anyway, it's probably got like 180,000 miles, somewhere like that, maybe. Well, here's to another 180,000. Thank you so much. You brought out an incredible car today. Oh, my pleasure. We're here with two gentlemen who pretty much know their way around a Honda and probably had one of the, the cooler custom jobs done here, Tim and Tom Mings. I noticed your car was different when you. I noticed there was Lexan windows on this old Civic, and it wasn't sounding like an old Civic. So tell us about your car and what you brought out. Oh, it's a 78 Civic, first-gen Civic with a B18 uh, Integra uh, and transplanted engine. Uh, a, well, it's, that was always an independent rear suspension to begin with. It's been converted to a second-gen Civic uh, brake parts, hubs, uh, suspension modifications, a lot of uh, up, upgrades to the body or uh, smoothing up the body for uh, uh, appearance purposes, Delexan windows you mentioned. And, and who did the, uh, the custom job? Was it your son or... You did that yourself? I did all the I did all the mechanical machine work. Uh, I, I had a body and uh, body shop man do the paint and finished uh, a lot of the custom metal work. Uh, quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of custom metal work that was done. So, and Tim, you're now restoring uh, Concord quality N600s, Civics. Um, there's probably a newfound love for these cars that you haven't seen in the last few years. As these cars are becoming rarer and rarer, is it harder for you to do custom jobs on these Hondas? Do you want to restore them back to originally stock, or do you like making the hot rods out of them? I don't do custom stuff at all. That's my stepdad does all that stuff. I'm, uh, I keep them stocked the way they were supposed to be. All right. So a little sacrilegious on your part, but, uh, but I like it. Tell us, um, tell us about some of the cars you're working on in your projects. All I'm doing right now is the serial number one car. That's getting all my attention full time. And when you're doing a restoration, and for anyone who doesn't know, the serial number one, it is the first Honda Civic, Honda N600, that was ever imported into the United States. It is serial number 0001, uh, and you're taking that back to showroom stock. What's some of the hardest parts about doing a restoration like that? hardest part about doing that car is because it's essentially a rolling prototype. There's a lot of pieces were hand-fabbed on it, but essentially it's a 67 N360, so... One of the hardest parts I'm looking for right now is the front floor mat, which I'm probably going to have to fabricate to make it the way it was. 
Well, if anybody's listening to this and has a front floor mat, <laughs> please email Tim because I, I I think he's gonna like it. How do you enjoy the rally today? How you know you've you've been your whole life around Japanese cars? Is there something sort of nostalgic and fun about finding a group of people who still has an appreciation for these? Yeah, this is a very well organized event. Very nice, challenging roads and just quality people from beginning to end. Everybody that participated, the people that put it on. It was very well organized and yeah, pretty fun to be around a bunch of kindred spirits that kind of get it, you know. Well, once uh, the na- uh, floor mat comes in, we hope to see serial number one on the next Toga California. Uh, serial number one car will probably never do 50 miles again in the rest of its life. It's going to be uh, sitting in a museum where it will no doubt contract museum-itis. They say they're going to exercise it, but that remains to be seen. But uh, the serial number one car will be at Japanese Classic Car Show this September. Finished. Well, we're looking forward to it. Great talking to you guys. Thank you. I'm here with Matt, who's a contributor to JNC, and he's got a GTO on a California Japanese rally. Tell us about how the GTO, probably not the one we're thinking of, uh, tell us a little bit about the car. Well, it's a Colt Gallant GTO manufactured by Mitsubishi in Japan. It's an early 70s car. And... Uh, it's mildly modified. It's got some, you know, some much wider ru- tires and rubber. And uh, it did really well today. Probably one of the rarest cars here, too. How long have you owned it, and how did you come about it? Um, I've had about eight years. I privately imported it and uh, just took a long time to collect all the parts for it. And eight years ago, that was well before this sort of newfound love of classic Japanese cars started. What attracted you to this car? Um, the shape of it, and I actually didn't know much about it, except that it was just gorgeous looking to me, and uh, kind of got me hooked into Mitsus. But, uh, uh, of course, now I probably, they're so expensive now, I don't know if I could afford one. Well, it sounds like you uh, definitely were at the right place at the right time, and you did well because you got an absolute beautiful one. Matt, it was great talking with you. All right. Thanks. Bye. Here with Patrick Strong, who was the rally master and the brains behind the route of this entire thing. Patrick, I can't even begin to imagine the work that goes into this because I thought, eh, he's going to give us some Google Maps. We'll get a start and finish address. We'll pretty much find it. And that was not the case. So tell us, tell us about what goes into doing a route and uh you know what we might not expect i think that the well first of all thanks for coming out today um i think that the there are a lot of factors that go into choosing a route for an event like this um almost all of them are logistical you know you want to make sure that uh your participants have adequate time to stop and do the things that they need to do besides driving uh, you need to make sure that you can find workarounds for the staff that you have for your events to get from one place to another. But the most important thing, I think, in putting an event like this together is to find roads that are engaging and not a hassle. Um, and to do that, you kind of have to do some experimentation. You have to play around. I, you, it's funny you mentioned Google Maps. That's how all of these rallies start. You know, When I sit down to write a road rally, which I've been doing for probably uh, five or six years now, uh, they all start with Google Maps because I, you know, I like everybody else, you know, I have three jobs. I don't have time to get out and and drive roads all the time. So thankfully, because we can look at them on a computer, I can look and say, okay, that road looks really curvy. Show me more. And then you know you go and you find the ones that you like. And you know if you have some knowledge about how to link them together in a in a logical way, which which I've gained through years of experience, frankly. Um, 
it's, you know, we'll wait for the Southwest to go by here. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it gets easier to find ways to link them together in ways that keep the drivers focused, keep them engaged, and, um, you know, are not too big of a hassle. Before I even met you, I was on a, a press trip with Ben, and he goes, oh, I got this friend who, you know, as much as we look on cars on Craigslist, he sits and looks at Google Maps, which I first thought, well, that's nerdy. But then I thought, no, that's probably really cool, because you're probably finding some of the best roads. What, are you a cartographer? What, what brought you to wanting to look at maps and study roads and find new places? It was Road Rally that brought me to it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I've always been a car guy. Uh, you know, I grew up, I grew up the son of some very casual, casual car family. You know, my family had, you know, back in the 60s, they had all the British sports cars that you're supposed to have. You know, my, my grandfather was an attorney. He had an E-Type. You know, my grandmother had the TR3. My, my, my dad had a Sprite, all that stuff. So I kind of grew up in like the road and track influenced school of Road Rally is something that you do if you like cars. And, you know, being somebody who likes to get out and drive, it seemed very natural. So I started road rallying um, and started getting more and more involved in it. And the people in uh, the local SCCA region kind of roped me into starting to write rallies. And that's when I said, okay, well, these guys write really good rallies. What do I need to do to do that? And that, and the first answer was learn where all the good roads are. So I started, you know, again, I, I didn't have time to go out and, and drive them. So I could just sit at my computer and, and just go and go and go. And finally, I, it started to click. And I said, well, if I like driving these roads, somebody else is going to like driving them. And and that's where it started. And and so it was Road Rally itself that brought me to gaining the knowledge of roads. I should say, I mean, just as you know, this being our second year, we have a very, of this event, Hoge, California, we had a very different course than we did last year. Last year, we ran in the, uh, the mountains above Malibu, which is kind of my main stomping ground. I mean, that's, you know, the place where I cut my teeth on rally and riding rallies. Coming down here to San Diego and Orange County was a new experience. It's, you know, I've, I've been here before in, in various capacities, but never in, in a road rally uh, situation. So finding all these roads, I mean, it, it actually did take a lot of trial and error this time. In fact, one ver early version of this rally had it running uh, uh, north to south as opposed to the south to north direction it ran. It was basically the same roads, just completely opposite. And despite being run over the same roads, it didn't work at all. Something about the way it was paced, the rhythm of the rally, where the stops were, it just was a catastrophe. All we had to do was flip it around and it worked brilliantly. And what drew you to this area? Because if you're a you're a Malibu Canyon kind of guy, I am too. I love driving out there, and that's where I've done my sort of rallies. What made you say, you know what, let's go 100 miles south. Uh, let's take this baby to San Diego. Uh, the answer in a word is Mazda. Uh, because we had Mazda's support and sponsorship for this, um, it uh, fell to us to try to include them to the greatest extent possible. And that meant uh, coming to use their really great R&D facility here, which has the beautiful courtyard where we're having you know, this hosted dinner. Uh, it, has, it includes access to their heritage collection, which is not something that's open to the public. So that's something that we can offer to our rallyists as you know value-added for being a part of this experience. So that... Uh, that made it only natural. Well, if, you know, if Mazda's there in Irvine, let's try to figure out a route that works in Irvine. And of course, the problem with trying to start a rally in Malibu and get to Irvine is that you have to drive through, you know, some of the worst traffic and worst congestion in America to get there. So, so now why don't we try to find some great roads that are more accessible to, to Mazda's uh, R&D facilities in Irvine? And I think we did. I think we found... I, I would I won't say every good driving road in northern San Diego and western Riverside and uh, 
in Orange County, but we found a lot of them, and I, and I think it uh, I think it worked out well for us with that. Well, you did an absolutely excellent job because you went to a part of the state I've never been to before, and it, I absolutely loved every mile and every turn. I'm going to ask you the question that I'm sure you're going to be hated being asked a thousand times tonight. When are we doing the next one? Hopefully about the same time next year. Um, you know, it, Ben and I have to restrain ourselves from talking at too much length about what we're going to do next year while we're still trying to get this year's uh, event in the books. But um, there is going to be a Toge California 2017. Um, we've been kicking a lot of ideas around um, and we don't really have anything yet. I mean, we have we have lots of ideas, but we don't have a plan. But there will be an event. It will almost certainly be around this time of year. Uh, we're also looking at expanding our roster to include uh, a few other rallies. Uh, we're in the early planning stages of an event for this August. Uh, it'll be a more low-key event, um, probably a smaller entry field, uh, shorter distance than this one, but something that will bring in a different, uh, a different group, uh, a different subset of uh, cars within the Japanese classic community. Cars that were not, in, perhaps a little newer cars that weren't eligible for this event. We want those guys to get to play too. Well, it sounds great. You've got me hooked. I'm going to go to everyone I can. Thank you so much. Let's go eat some barbecue. I'm taking Andrew away from his barbecue to ask him about his car. Had probably the biggest car on the rally. Tell us about your car and uh, why you brought it out. Uh, I have a 1984 Toyota Century uh, VG40 model. Um, I brought it out uh, on behalf uh, as a correspondent for Petrolicious for the event. Um, Just wanted to uh, meet some new faces and... uh, uh, try to promote the coverage of the event and hope things grow and uh, just have a good time. Now, for people who don't know what a Toyota Century is, because it's a car we never got here in America, and it's a type of car that you really don't see too often here in America. So explain to what the Century is. The Toyota Century uh, debuted in 1967, and since it's been the uh, Imperial family limousine of choice uh, for their fleet, and it's been used for dignitor- dignitaries and CEOs, uh, it's a vehicle that you can't just go into a Toyota dealer and purchase. You have to kind of be somebody. Um, and the only way to get one on the second-hand market is, you know, through an auction or something like that. So they're, they're pretty rare. Uh, depending on the year and the model, they make about 250 to, like, 500 uh, per year. And they're all um, custom-ordered, made-to-order. And uh, they're pretty rare throughout Japan. And um, they feature a lot of things that are pretty advanced, especially when they were new. You know, they had a lot of uh, creature comforts and luxuries that are most modern cars don't even have. So uh, They're so overly built and overly engineered and overly luxurious. Uh, you can see options anything like an ice maker to a rice cooker in them. And, and I think that's why I think they're so cool. What about the Century spoke to you that made you want to buy one and bring it here to Stateside? Well, uh, like everyone who gets the opportunity to go to Japan... Uh, like I was so fortunate to do, I went there with, uh, you know, some notions of what I kind of wanted. I was thinking about Skylines and Bluebirds and old Celicas and everything. And, uh, I just kind of, when I got there, I kept an open mind. And one day on the way to work, I saw the car parked outside the officer's club and I didn't know what it was. And it was, you know, something new and different. And I just thought it looked really cool. And, uh, it just kind of fell into my lap. I ended up uh, getting a really good deal from the owner and, uh, it's just been a great car, and I knew I wanted something unique to the Japanese market to bring back, um, just to have something a little more special back in the States. So that's kind of the reason why I bought it. I felt like the car kind of chose me more. You know, I just kind of ran into it one day, and it just felt right. So, 
it's great when it works out like that. And you definitely, out of everybody here, they have faster cars probably, more agile cars, louder cars. But nobody's going to ride home in more comfort today than you. So you, uh, I think you picked a great car for the rally. And I'll let you get back to your brisket. Thank you so much, and uh, thanks for the event. Had a great time. We're here with Kelvin, who heads up the research and development for Mazda. Mazda's going through so many changes in the last few years that I'm sure you've had your work cut out for you. But what what kind of enjoyment do you get from going on these vintage rallies? Well, I think, first of all, the um, there's a lot of folks here who love automobiles. They have a lot of passion. And it doesn't matter regardless what brand you're associated with it. I think... I think the point is that they enjoy driving, and for us that matters a lot. And uh, with that, uh, we thought with the public relations team to support it greatly because we also believe in in, in the same uh, philosophy. Uh, Driving matters quite a bit to us, and uh, the philosophy of that really drives our entire engineering uh, development. And we just wanted to kind of showcase and just, like a dealer, really, you know, treat them really well and, and welcome them. Because we do too, and uh, we enjoy everybody's uh, friendship and enjoyment with the automobile. And today was really exciting. I think the course was set up really well. It was very safe. And all of us enjoyed the environment of, you know, driving your own personal cars with everyone else that has the same passion. And what personal car did you bring out and how did it do on the rally? Unfortunately, I didn't bring my own car, but I did bring it tonight. I do have a, a 1972 uh, JDM, a Fair Lady Z. It's a right-hand drive, and although I didn't bring it, uh, I did help support the drive with the Mazda MX-5 team, so hopefully uh, I'll get uh, a few points for that. And when you're driving, you know, the old Mazdas, you're in an an old MX-5 or an RX-7 or, you know, like us in the GLC, and you're going through these roads, is there ever sort of a, a feeling you get where you get inspired for future engineering? Uh, I think that's a good question. Uh, it doesn't matter regardless if, we were, if you're looking at our products 50 years ago, 40 years ago, or 30 years ago. It still follows the same philosophy. Uh, joy from driving, the, the act of enjoying driving, uh, and the, the philosophy behind it, I think drives us uh, tremendously. Uh, from Mazda, even today and even in the past, our philosophy is to make the enjoyment of driving wonderful for the consumer. And that is the philosophy that drives every action in our business, including engineering. From that philosophy, all of our engineering criteria and metrics are decided. So the powertrain, what is joy from driving? What is steering and handling? What is joy from driving? All of that is followed by a core philosophy and view and a belief. And we need to be extremely efficient uh, because that's who we are. And through that, everyone's working together, which is why our cars are so harmonious and balanced and easy to drive. We really want to make the customer smile, and that's our end goal. Well, Calvin, I think you made a lot of people smile today, and you had a lot of fun uh, with everybody driving. So thank you so much for being a part of this and for engineering such incredible cars. Thank you. It's, it's our pleasure. It was wonderful to meet everybody. I think we created new friends today, and uh, hopefully we'll do it uh, as well as next year. Thank you. All right. Great talking to you. We're here with Jeremy Barnes, who is the Director of Public Relations at Mazda. Jeremy, why was it so important that Mazda was a part of the Japanese nostalgic uh, Toge, California? Simple. These are our people. Um, These are people who care about cars. They care about Japanese cars, but fundamentally, they're just car guys. And that's, quite frankly, that's all we are. We're a car company full of car people, car guys, car girls. We we build cars. We race cars. We we develop cars. We sell cars. That's who we are as a company. Um, 
and this event was a natural for us to be a part of. And you guys do such a great job not only showcasing the future of Mazda and not just showcasing the history of Mazda, but the living, breathing ethos of Mazda with all the vintage racing you're doing, the rallies, the events, the, you, know, you really make enthusiasts out of your owners. What about the cars you guys picked today uh, made you guys want to include, because they're three very different cars, uh, and probably not three Mazdas people will instantly recognize as Mazdas. So what made you want to pick these cars for this rally? Um, well, the, the obvious choices would have been to bring just a bunch of rotary sports cars, right? I mean, everyone knows the RX-7. Um, unfortunately, not everyone remembers the GLC. The GLC is, is an incredibly important car. It's, quite frankly, the car that saved Mazda. We very likely would not be standing here talking. Well, we probably would be standing here talking, but I wouldn't be working for a company called Mazda, quite frankly, if it wasn't for the GLC. So if you think back to the fuel crisis in the early 70s, all we sold were rotary-powered cars, right? We had RX-2, RX-3, we had the rotary truck. Suddenly, along comes the fuel crisis, and the last thing people want are things that are small, fast, powerful, light. They want things that are fuel-efficient. It's the only thing that matters, right? You've got lines for hours, if not days. You've got even-numbered and odd-numbered fill-up days. The only thing Mazda sells at that time is, is, is uh, rotary vehicles and so in 18 months our engineering team develops the GLC the great little car and it's really the car that saved us so it's an incredibly important part of our heritage the car that we had on the rally today barely 8,000 miles on the odometer we bought it uh, off a craigslist of all things um, from a gentleman up in the northeast bought it brand new um, we brought the rotary pickup truck because seriously what's cooler than a rotary engine in a pickup truck um, a lot of people don't know we ever did a rotary-powered pickup truck. So um, we did it for three model years or four model years. Um, there weren't a whole lot of them sold, and in reality, there aren't many left. Most of them rusted out. They were pickup trucks, so they were um, they were commercial vehicles. Things got thrown in the back, beds got chipped, they rusted, and that was pretty much the last you saw of them. We're lucky to have this fantastic 75 rotary truck in our collection, so it was the right thing to bring along. And then, of course, the 85 RX-7 GS LSE, that's a really super car. It's got 1,400 miles on it, 1,400 miles from new on it now. It had 1,100 miles when it left the building this morning. Um, we bought that car from a dealer, a Mazda dealer up in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, whose dad took the car off the showroom floor in 85. Uh, decided he was going to drive it himself. He put a couple of hundred miles on it, decided that the roads in Alaska were just too hard for that car. He put it away. Dad passed away four or five years ago. Son pulls the car out of storage a couple of years later, starts driving it. Son, who now owns the store, decides, yep, dad was probably right. The roads were too rough for the car. Um, our regional rep went up there. The dealer contacted him and said, hey, I understand you guys have a collection down in Irvine. Would you be interested in it? And we bought the car, and it's become part of our long-term collection now. So, yeah, we brought cars that I think... Uh, one of the cars is an obvious choice, an RX-7, but the other two, maybe not. But they're just cars. They're important parts of Mazda's heritage. Um, they're meant to be driven. Quite frankly, having them sit is worse than driving them. Um, we want people to see them in their natural element, which is on the road, and we want people to know that Mazda cares about driving. It, it is who we are. It's the cars we build today. You guys are like the Bruce Springsteen of uh, vintage cars. You can bring out a couple ones that people might not have heard, a few B-sides, but you still got to play the hits with the RX-7, and that's what I like about that. Uh, I did probably 150 miles in the GLC, and not only is it a blast to drive, 
it's economical. I mean, I, I drive an economy car, and it got better gas mileage for a 40-year-old car than, you know, my car that's three years old. So I think it just shows that, you know, crisis sort of breeds invention and, you know, really puts together a, a great product. And you guys just did an absolutely wonderful job showcasing your cars. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me out. My pleasure. It's great to have you on board on the program today. We're, we really had a great time being a part of the program. There's lots more fun stuff to come this evening. We're going to be starting up the GTP car in a little bit so we can get some of that amazing four-rotor love. Um, and then we'll be doing some tours through our basement for the balance of the collection. So make sure you come along and bring your microphone with you. But in the meantime, brisket and mac and cheese. That's all we care about right now. In the meantime, now. brisket and mac and cheese, absolutely. All right, Jeremy, that was always, it's a pleasure talking to you. At the end of the night, at the end of the rally, we're back with the co-founder, Ben Sue. Am I pronouncing that right? I've been waiting my entire life to ask you this. Just like a shoe you wear on your foot. So. <laughs> my good friend, Ben Shue, who I've been mispronouncing his name since I've known him. Sure, AJ Gordon. Here we go. Now we're even. This was a huge success. Everybody's having fun. Nobody got hurt. Everyone saw some great views and some great drives. And now we're all eating barbecue. Uh, nothing more Japanese than that, especially in California. How did it go for you on your end? Uh, it went great. I mean, I was working, but trying to enjoy it at the same time. Uh, you know, to say that I'm a little bit stressed would be a huge understatement. But now that, you know, all the cars have finished and we're enjoying barbecue i can finally relax and turn the reins over to the mazda folks who are hosting us so graciously and what what about putting on a rally because you know we all just think all right we show up and we drive what about putting on the rally for you was the hardest part what is the most stressful thing that's kept you up all week so there are so many things behind the scenes that um people probably haven't seen we drove the entire 200 mile route uh many times to just to get all the directions uh the signs and everything correct in the route instructions uh again thanks to mazda for letting us uh borrow a very brilliantly driving mx5 for those roads um we also just ha did so much uh stuff with the printing of materials and um creating gift bags, just finding sponsors, all that stuff that goes into an event like this. I mean, it is a lot of grunt work that people don't even see a fraction of. Well, the the fraction that we do see, we appreciate. And then the several fractions we don't, we uh, even more so appreciate. You've done a heck of a great job here, Ben. Everybody's looking forward to the next one. And thank you so much for putting on such a great event. Well, thank you for coming, AJ. I hope you enjoyed it.